the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized in 2020 as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. If you haven't listened to the show before, and we are starting to get some new listeners out there, welcome. The show is usually in two parts. The first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law, and the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, avoiding going through court, that's avoiding probate, which is very important in today's world. And as far as elder law is concerned, we want to save assets from nursing home bills. And no matter what, we want to save on taxes. Now, for today's show, we're accompanied by my wife, Beth. Hello, everybody. And as most of you know, listen to the show, we have a different attorney from the office each week. Alex. Hi. And my son, Michael. Hello, everyone. All right, Alex. First of all, a little way of introduction. I know you've been on the show a couple of times already, but where are you from originally? Where'd you go to law school and how long have you been here now? Um, so I'm actually originally from Bay Ridge, right where the firm is located. Um, and I went to New York Law School uh, from 2017-2020, uh, finished during the pandemic, and I've been at Connors & Sullivan for about uh, six months. Okay, so you have a question there, you know, and Michael, where does somebody email us a question? If you want to email us a question, you're going to email it to askmikeconnors at gmail.com. That's askmikeconnors at gmail.com. Connors, of course, spelled C-O-N-N-O-R-S. All right, so Alex, what question do we have on top there? So this question comes from Gloria. It is, when I die, I want to leave everything to my four granddaughters and nothing to my two daughters. How can I do this? And also, how can I ensure that my granddaughters do not go wild with their inheritance and spend it as soon as they get it? Okay. Well, that's where we may do a trust agreement in this case. So in this case, let's say grandma's the trustee, revocable trust to start maybe. And then it goes straight to the granddaughters without going to court, without going to probate makes it very difficult for the daughters to contest the will. And, of course, we don't know the circumstances are both daughters to mothers of the grandchildren, so they may consent. We don't know. Um, and then the question is, who's going to manage? for the, We don't know how young the granddaughters are, but let's say they're you know, early teenagers or, or younger. We would want somebody else to manage the assets for them until they're a certain age. And, of course, that's one of the things you have to pick. Do they manage it till they're 21, 25, 30? And that might be a tough case here, but we got to talk it over. Is there a nephew or niece? 
that can manage it for them? Is there a cousin? Is there a younger brother or sister? And of course, how old are the grandchildren? Like if they're in their 20s and you want to manage it till their 30s, we may not have to think that long range. But at the same time, if they're, let's say, 10 years old and you want it held in trust till they're 30, we want a combination of trustees that are going to be around until they're 30. Now, what is a trustee going to do? He's going to manage, invest the money for them, and give them money when they need it. Now, you could write all sorts of things on the trust. You could say they get half at 25 and half at the remaining half at 30. You can say that they get all the income during the time period, or you can say, no, you can't spend it except for education or medical emergencies or whatever, maintenance. You know, that's that's why you're going to choose a trustee to use the best judgment at the time, because maybe these granddaughters are not, you know, maybe they're not mature enough yet to manage things. And of course, again, a lot depends on their age and what are they doing. If they're all college graduates in their early 20s, we may not put too many restrictions on it. At the same time, if they're six, seven, eight years old, well, we don't know how they're going to be able to manage money. So we may want to hold it off until at least they're 21, 25, 30. And, uh, you know, and, and this is one of the beauties about a trust agreement. You know, if you ask me, can I do this in a trust agreement? Can I do that in a trust agreement? The answer is always yes. Can you say, can I hold it up until they're 35? Yes. Can I give them half at 25 and the rest at 30? Yes. Can I give it all to them outright at 21? Yes. The trust agreement, if you ask me, can I do this in a trust agreement? Can I do that in a trust agreement? The answer is almost always yes. Now, Alex, you had a question about Medicaid. So what was that you wanted to get off? Yeah, so uh, what I find a lot of times with clients is that they can get a little confused because there's several types of Medicaid. Um, so depending on if they're looking for in-home health care, if they're looking for assisted living, or looking for a nursing home situation, um, is there any way that we can better to understand the differences between those types of Medicaid? Yeah, well, you know, basically there's there's home care Medicaid and community Medicaid. The rules are the same. Now, things are going to change January 1st, which to some extent, let's say for home care Medicaid, let's say you want home attendance in your house. Assuming you're disabled or you're over 65, now until the end of the year, if you put all your assets, let's say, in an irrevocable trust or give them away if, let's say, you don't have much in assets at all, then you can apply for home care Medicaid the first day of the month following the transfer. That law disappears on January 1st, so you have to do it in effect you got to make these transfers before December 1st if you're going to apply in December because then there's a new law that takes effect in January. Um, so home care Medicaid pays for home equipment, supplies, home attendance, basically most of the time to try to keep your relative out of a nursing home. And literally, I mean, maybe I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't recommend necessarily doing it, but you could literally put a million dollars in a trust today let's say sometime in, in August, and apply for home care Medicaid in September, the first day of the month following the transfer. And some of you say, well, isn't there a five-year look-back period? There is no look-back period for home care Medicaid between now and the end of the year. After January 1st, there's going to be a 30-month look-back period. So even then, you know, sometimes that gets confusing because sometimes, let's say you give away a person of modest means, gives away $50,000 in January of next year say, well, they got to wait 30 months. No, we have to, uh, we apply for Medicaid and we may have to wait about three, four months, depending on what rates are in, in effect at that time. And we can always spend our money. Never forget, we can always spend our money. If somebody's got $50,000 in the bank, they can prepay their funeral. They may be able to prepay another relative's funeral. They can buy a car. 
they can and you might say why would you want to buy a car if you're disabled and you're you know looking for home care medicaid well because a car is an exempt resource and somebody can drive you back and forth to the doctors to whatever appointments that you're going to try to make so a, a car can be a, a good resource to buy and you know literally i've seen people going into a nursing home tomorrow and they buy a car today and they save the proceeds from the purchase of the car from the nursing home bills but we're talking about home care medicaid right now then we have nursing home medicaid and nursing home medicaid we do have a five-year look back period which means if you apply for benefits for nursing home medicaid you have to document all your transactions for five years prior to your application for benefits so and the sake of argument let's say you're doing planning long range you put your assets in an irrevocable trust let's say in september or October of this year, let's say you put it in September, October is month number one on the five-year clock, and you're close. You're at four years and 11 months, and the clock gets smaller each month, and you're always better off starting the clock, because it's not as if you go to a nursing home in four years and 10 months, you lose everything, you pay for one or two months, and you're home clear, and you're always better off with a shorter clock. You're better off with a four-year and 11-month clock than a five-year clock, but even then, if somebody's going to a nursing home tomorrow, there are a lot of things we can do. First, we look at are there exempt transfers? And what are exempt transfers? They don't count for Medicaid. Yes, you have to report them as part of the five-year look-back period or 30-month look-back period after January 1st for home care Medicaid, but they don't incur a penalty. In other words, transfers between spouses. Husband has a stroke. He transfers everything to his wife. He can apply for nursing home or home care Medicaid on the first day of the month following the transfer. There is, it's, there's no penalty on transfers between spouses. And literally, seeing people get married today and transfer the assets tomorrow. You know, let's say you have a couple that's living together or maybe a divorced couple that has kids together and maybe they get remarried. We can use that. But transfers between spouses are exempt from penalty under the five-year look-back period or starting next year, the 30-month look-back period for home care Medicaid. Transfers to a disabled child are exempt from penalty under the look back period. So in other words, and and it doesn't matter how old the child is. Literally, we had this case a couple of years ago, 99-year-old woman was going to a nursing home. She had a 75-year-old daughter who had some medical problems. We got a letter from her doctor. She was on Social Security retirement, so she wasn't collecting Social Security disability. We get a letter from her doctor, get her declared disabled with Medicaid, which is not that hard. We transfer assets and trust for the 75-year-old daughter. The 99-year-old mother can go on Medicaid without a problem. Transfers to a disabled child are exempt. If you collect Social Security disability, it's a slam dunk. You're disabled. If you're under 18, you're disabled. You know, like if we have, uh, let's say, uh, a man in his 50s who's in a car accident and complications from emergency surgery, has a stroke, he has to go to a nursing home. If we can get, you know, a... Let's say as a child that's 17 years of age, we can get the assets and trust for that 17-year-old child, save those assets from Medicaid. And, of course, in a lot of these situations, one of the prime documents that you need is uh, a PAV attorney, a durable PAV attorney, one that's effective. God forbid somebody has a stroke and another disabling illness. The person who's on the PAV attorney can... Do these transactions you're talking about. If you don't have a PAV attorney and one of these situations comes up, then you have to get go to court, get a guardian appointment, get permission from the court to transfer these assets. So that's where in planning, it's very important to um, 
very important to plan in advance and have a power of attorney to somebody you can trust. And not to power of attorney you're going to get off the internet, not to power of attorney you're going to get one of these computer companies, because that power of attorney does not cover all the bases. And if you're in a crisis situation, you don't want to have to be in the point where you have to go to court to get court permission. So let's recap a little bit. Home care Medicaid, there's no look back period before January 1st. After January 1st, we're going to have a 30-month look-back period. They're exempt transfers. Oh, I didn't I didn't mention if you have a house. Let's say for the sake of argument, you have a child living in the house for more than two years. And according to the law, if the child provides care to the parent, we can put that house, I prefer, in a trust so it gets out tax-free. We can put that house in a trust, and it will avoid probate and go out tax-free and save from nursing home bills if we have a child living in the house for more than two years. If we have a brother or sister, a sibling, who's been living in the same house for one or more years, same thing. We put that house in a trust. Yes, you can give it straight to that sibling, but I don't like that as much because tax-wise it's not as beneficial. But if we put the house in a trust where we have a brother or sister living in the same house for one or more years, we can protect that house from medical bills, nursing home bills right away. It's an exempt transfer. There are four exempt transfers under the Medicaid rules, whether it's for the 30-month look-back period that's coming at us in a couple of months or whether it's a five-year look-back period for nursing home bills. Transfers between spouses are exempt. Transfers to a disabled child are exempt. Transfer of a homestead. And by the way, that could be, I said house, but it could be a co-op or a condo. That's not going to matter. Uh, to a son or daughter who lives in the same property for you know two or more years, provides care to the parent. Or sibling living together one or more years, technically they have to have an equity interest, but everybody does if you live there for a period of time. So those are the four exempt transfers. And those transfers are still going to apply to home care Medicaid after January 1st. There's always a lot we can do. And we can always spend our money. Remember that. There's no restriction on how we spend your money. That's why we could buy a $50,000 car. We could put, if the house is in a trust, we could put $100,000, $200,000 in the house and prove that, save it from a nursing home. So if you're in a crisis situation, Get the right advice. And if you want to give us a call, if you're in one of those crisis situations, because I know I'm talking fast and I'm going over a lot of stuff and what we have, but you can come in. We can talk about it at Connors and Sullivan. We do not charge for the first consultation. So give us a call at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. And, you know, we're going to go all this over again in seminars. We're going to be doing seminars the end of October. We're still waiting to firm up the dates and times and what places we're going to, but we're going to go to Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island in the end of October. We're going to be at the Three West Club, which is a great place sometime there, and we're going to go to Pacelli's Restaurant in Staten Island. We're going to go to our old stomping grounds, the Adria in Bayside, and the Bay Ridge Manor in Brooklyn. So when those seminars come out, if you want to ask your questions in person, come out and talk it over. Again, we'll have the seminars up on our screen you know, and hopefully in a few weeks, and it'll be the end of October. Um, the last working week in October, we'll be doing seminars in those four parts of the city. So here's the thing. Community Medicaid, that's, let's say, for assisted living. There are not a lot of assisted livings that take Medicaid, but there are some. And right now, there's no look-back period for assisted livings that take Medicaid. You know, like, for instance, we're in Bay Ridge right now. The Norwegian Christian Home takes Medicaid. It's a very fine institution. So... And they'll help you do the Medicaid application. So if you get the assets out, let's say you're in there right now and you get your assets out before the end of the month, let's say whether it's August or September, you can apply for home care Medicaid on October 1st. And 
you'll be eligible for assisted living Medicaid, and those places take it. Now, I'm going to warn you again, most assisted livings do not take Medicaid. Most assisted livings are private pay. You pay, you run out of money, you have to leave. And sometimes that surprises some people because I've been in a couple of cases where somebody lives to be 90-some-odd years of age, they've run out of money, and they have to leave, and they have to find a new place. And sometimes that causes a lot of stress you know, up, upon the family. But there are a few assisted livings that, that do take Medicaid. Find out. If, if you come to our office, we can give you a list of some of the assisted livings that take Medicaid in, in, in New York City. But, again, if you're in the crisis situation, I, I strongly recommend you give us a call. Talk to us, and we'll try to do the best thing we can for you. Again, give us a call at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. All right, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes. You're listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress, a government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646, or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash F Melia. Once again, call 888-943-2646 and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank. NMLS number 403503. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit ccbq.org. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. You know, one thing, I, you know, I live in Brooklyn, and we're very lucky to be represented by an outstanding member of Congress, Nicole Maliotakis, our next guest. Welcome to Connor's Corner. Thank you so much, Mike. Great to be with you. Okay, so you're in the news. I see you on TV all the time right now, and you've been helping people get out of Afghanistan and getting back to Brooklyn. But why are you doing this? Why isn't the administration not doing this? Well, well, that's a loaded question, Mike. I think we can <laughs> start off by <laughs> we could start off with um, look. We know how we got here. This was a a, a plan 
that was poorly executed, poorly managed. In fact, it wasn't really even a plan in terms of contingency uh, with withdrawing the troops, which most members of Congress and Americans support. It's just the way that this was done without a strategy. And uh, it, it, was, it has created such a dire situation right now in Kabul. Uh, and so many people are obviously fleeing but even people that were trying to help have been really uh, caught in, in, in government bureaucracy. The bottom line is that this administration should have worked to evacuate citizens prior to withdrawing the troops. And the fact, you know, it's clear that this has been a failure just by looking at the numbers where we now have 6,000 uh, troops on the ground as opposed to 2,500 when he first announced the withdrawal. So there's more troops on the ground and there's a dire need. Uh, for them because they are doing an amazing job, these men and women in our military, trying to evacuate not just American citizens, but those who were our Afghan partners, interpreters, people who worked very closely for years with our military men and women. And um, so, so, so what's happening right now, and, and you know, the family we were able to help evacuate, just one family, we're also dealing with, uh, you know, some, some you know, West Point graduates, a couple of citizens, uh, as well as others, including some of our Afghan partners, trying to help them. The family in Brooklyn, uh, it was a, a father had called us, uh, you know, his wife and three children, age seven, three, and one, were stuck in Afghanistan. We were able to work through State Department to get them home, uh, get them out of, out of Kabul. Um, and they're in the process right now of returning. I mean, you know, you have to make some stops over in Germany. They have quarantine issues and all of that. Um, but one of the one of the biggest th- th- things that we're seeing now is that communication that was working with the State Department has sort of disintegrated, and they're not really working well uh, anymore. And so, so you know, there's 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 many people on the ground that are that are working diligently without the support of of leadership to try to evacuate individuals. And my biggest concern right now is that the president has put a self-imposed August 31st uh, deadline, and he, he you know, is starting to withdraw troops ahead of that deadline, and there's a complete mess at, outside. And also, we only have uh, 4,400 of the estimated 11,000 uh, American citizens evacuated at this time, and there's just no way that they will be able to evacuate the remaining 7,000 in the time frame that he has put forward. And so we're very uh, forcefully telling the president that we, you know, no American left behind. We must work until we get these Americans out of harm's way and repatriated. Um, And so that is what we're working on right now. Let me ask you something. You know, those of us that are on the, let's say, the right side of the aisle, we can see the weaknesses in the administration. Can can you tell me your Democratic colleagues, what do they think about this? Well, there are many – there's outreach from both sides of the aisle. I mean, there are some people like Nancy Pelosi who puts her blinders on and just continues to you know, praise the administration regardless of what they do. But there are many Democrats who have come forward particularly concerned about Americans, those they represent, or family members of those they represent, and wanting to assist and doing everything they can, particularly many members of our military who have served. Many have served in Afghanistan, and they are um, really – seeing how operationally or from a managerial standpoint the our troops are being you know mismanaged there and they having a lot of their hands tied 
they're not able to do what they need to do to help people. And so um, it just it's just, you know, there's a lot of concern with this administration, whether it be the mishandling of Afghanistan, so many foreign policy decisions. He, you know, the president has been wrong on, I would say, every foreign policy decision to this point. Um, but also look at the inflation, every family paying more for gas, for for goods, for groceries, um, you know, because of inflation and the reckless uh, spending that they're committing in in Washington. Uh, if you look at crime soaring in major cities, border, the border is absolutely out of control. And I was at the border in April and have been exposing how the drug cartels are running our border and the CBP hands, our Custom and Border Patrol agents, our hands are tied. OK, they've caught terrorists at the border. OK, and, and, and now we're seeing 5,000 terrorists being released by the Taliban in Afghanistan, including ISIS fighters, uh, Qaeda fighters. That is a grave concern, not only for those individuals right now at the airport, uh, but for America as well. What happens in Afghanistan matters here. We learned that, unfortunately, on 9-11. Uh, and, and, you know, nine, never forget cannot be a slogan. We must continue to be vigilant. And by having, you know, open borders, by defunding our police, taking away the resources they, they need to do their job, you know, that's putting Americans in danger. Okay, I think you've given us a strong message to us why elections matter. And how important are the, the next midterm elections coming up a little over a year from now? Well, look, obviously, the midterm elections are going to control, uh, determine who controls the House and the Senate. And what we know here in New York, one party rule does not work. At City Hall, it's been a disaster. Look at the way the mayor has driven up, uh, you know, property taxes. And as a result, rents and cost of living have gone up. Look at the way he's defunded the police and tied their hands, leading us being less safe today. Quality of life, spending more money than ever but not addressing the root cause of homelessness and get, getting people the assistance they need to transition out of the homeless shelter. Uh, all of that uh, has happened under one-party rule without checks and balances, but also on the state level as well. The bail law that was given to us by Governor Cuomo, um, where you know, has led to crimes, all categories, skyrocketing around our state. People, dangerous people with lengthy criminal convictions being released back onto our street. There's a lot we can talk about that we can complain about about what's happened here in new york under one party rule and that's why we're seeing a a large exodus of individuals um however what i would say is you know we're seeing it now at the federal level too and part of my job now as a federal representative is to make sure that the policies that have occurred here in new york don't become federal law so we've pushed back on a number of things the 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 anti-police measure we were very successful in stopping that uh, using taxpayer money to fund political campaigns. We were successful in stopping that. Uh, packing the court, which would have, you know, allowed for just a, you know, this was Jerry Nadler's bill, actually. Uh, and it is, a, it is a page right out of the socialist handbook. Hugo Chavez used it, packed the court from 20 to 32 justices, and then 45,000 consecutive cases ruled in his favor. And that is how they destroyed the richest nation in, in South America, Venezuela. And so we were successful in pointing out those flaws and, and, and stopping that. So we're, we're doing what we can. But in order for us to bring real balance, real accountability, uh, and stop Nancy Pelosi's and, and, I would argue, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's radical and dangerous agenda, uh, we must flip the House of Representatives. And that is what I'm focused on. Obviously, my seat is an important seat in that because I'm the only Republican voice here in New York City. 
But uh, it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat, independent, Republican, you should want a two-party representation in Washington from our city, because that's where you're going to get good debate, good discussion, and good policy and accountability. Well said. Thank you, Nicole, for representing us in Congress. Thank you. Appreciate your time. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500, or connorsandsullivan.com. Do you know how many Christians live in the Middle East? Six million people. Do you know how many Christians need your help? Every single one. Do you know what we can do? With St. Francis in Beirut, we can give them hope. We can give them medicines. We can give them medical equipment. We can give them everything they're looking for because some others decided to remove Christianity from the Middle East. But if we will help them every single day, not just to feed them or clothing, it's all about giving them another day with the idea that they are recognized, that we love them, there are cousins, sisters, there are roots. So, St. Francis in Beirut, it's all about helping Christians. And you can be part of that help too. If you want to help Father Paul in his mission, send your donations to St. Francis in Beirut, 213 Stanton Street, New York, New York, 10002. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. With me right now, we have two guys who have been on the show before. Colonel Steve Ryan, welcome to the show. Thank you. And Lieutenant Colonel Dave Ryan. Now, Steve, a couple of days ago or a week or two ago, I said, I, I saw your picture in the New York Post. And what was that story about? Can you summarize that for the for the audience? Sure. I saw an article in the Post in uh, July, um, must have been almost a month ago, uh, where it stated that some of the 9-11 artifacts that had been sent to units in Afghanistan um, were going to be left behind, which was pretty shocking. And it had a picture of the one that I helped facilitate to get over there, which was the first original large steel beam that was put in Bagram, and it was there for almost a decade. And where was the steel beam from? The steel beam was from the World Trade Center, okay. and it was uh, given to uh, the people of Breezy Point because Breezy Point here in uh, Queens uh, lost uh, 29 uh, families were affected and lost loved ones uh, working as first responders, working particularly for Cantor Fitzgerald in the World Trade Center. So it, they felt it was appropriate when they were distributing some of these various beams to go to communities throughout the area um, to give give them one. Uh, they had one, and they made it into a cross, and they made it into their memorial, which is down on Jamaica Bay, and it's still there, and that's where they conduct their 9-11 uh, memorial services each year. And they had an additional beam 
uh, which they wanted to send to the troops in Afghanistan to sort of remind them why they were there. Okay, and so, well, that's not what the story was about in the post completely. Right. So <laughs> what had happened when I read that the stuff was going to be, many of these items were going to be left behind, I uh, contacted the author of the article in the post, and when I spoke to him finally on the phone, he said that, that they received this from Reuters. So it really was they really weren't the original source that had any information. Now, originally, the, what the intent was, once the beam arrived at the time, it was with the 82nd Airborne when I was with them, uh, Combined Joint Task Force 82nd, which is really the headquarters element of the division. And this was in Bagram Air Base from 2009 to 10. And where is that exactly? Or roughly, you know. Bagram, it's like in the northeast Afghanistan, not far from Kabul. And uh, that was really the, the headquarters for our operations in the country. The other big base we had, obviously, was in Kandahar down south. And what had happened was the way it was worked out is once the 82nd took the beam, the 82nd Airborne, as a unit of the Army, could not accept it as a historical artifact and just take possession of a historical artifact. It had to go through more of a private organization, much like a museum, like a 501c3. So the workaround was to give it to the 82nd Airborne Division uh, Museum, which works closely with the 82nd Airborne Division Association, which is their veterans group, which I belong to and many people in the 82nd do. And uh, that's how they were going to work it out. Uh, somewhere along the line, um, I, I called up the museum immediately, and when I spoke to them, they were like, yeah, you know, we... We heard the rumor that we were supposed to get this, but haven't heard anything in like seven years. And I'm like, well, that's not good. So I then contacted the, muse the newly opened Museum of the United States Army down in Fort Belvoir, and I spoke to their head historian. And he said, yes, we heard we were going to get it, <laughs> that we were going to have it, uh, and we're not sure where it is. He said, look, we actually... Uh, sort of oversee all the museums for the armies, and there's various little museums on many major army installations. He said, let me let me reach out and try to find, I'll send out a mass email and see if I can track it down. Ultimately, it was this gentleman that was able to do it and called us up in about 10 days um, after the follow-on argument. Uh, article that was put out, and that's where they did the photograph. That was a picture from 10 years in the past with myself and Colonel Cantor uh, standing next to the beam. I was a major at the time. And uh, we just wanted to find out where it was. We weren't pointing figures. We were just trying to hopefully if we could get the word out. Sometimes articles like the New York Post get reprinted in like Stars and Stripes and maybe some troops over there say, hey, wait a minute. No, we have this. It may be over here or maybe on some installation uh, here in the United States or I'm Got you know might have been on Route 66 somewhere in some museum. <laughs> we just we would just wanted to know where it was, and, and really the people in, in Breezy Point were pretty upset about it when I saw the article. So uh, we all went down to the Breezy Point 9/11 Memorial, uh, which is on a raised platform. And when we did it, they took a photo of us, and we were in civvies. We're all in the American Legion and the VFW down there, uh, and, and all other first responders, mostly retired, the sons and daughters of uh, America and Breezy Point, who were instrumental in getting it over there. Now, we did the photograph, we did the follow-up article, and obviously some of the veterans were very angry. Um, I have to, I'm in the reserve, so I have to be careful what I say. I, was, I just pointed out that, hey, this was the reason it was sent to the troops, and this was the original plan was to bring it back to Fort Bragg and be put in the 82nd Airborne Division Museum. Um, lo and behold, somewhere in the bureaucracy, it fell through the cracks. 
Um, one of our residents, Colonel Tom Sullivan, Army Reserve, who's stationed here in Fort Hamilton, um, he saw it in 2017 on Bagram. So he said, I know it was there up until 2017. So we kind of lost track of where it was from 17 to the present day in 21. So uh, luckily, the, the article was published. We got the word out. But uh, thankfully, the museum curator of the Museum of the United States Army got back to me and said, hey, I got good news. It's in the United States. It's up in Fort Drum with the 10th Mountain Division because they said, hey, we ain't leaving this behind. I think it was better to, um, you know, take it, do it, and then beg for forgiveness later on, which I'm grateful to them that they did that. Um, I think I have a sneaking suspicion, uh, and again, I'm not angry at them all, is that they might have taken it and tried to keep it low-key so no one would come and take it away from them because I think they're very proud to have it, particularly since they are an active Army unit stationed here in New York, and this is where it happened. So the the people in Breezy Point are, are very ecstatic that it's happened, and at some point they'd like to go up next year for the 21st anniversary and like to participate because Fort Drum doesn't an obviously obviously a 9-11 memorial service every year i just told them well you better make a trip out of it go up and visit the thousand islands and because if you make a day trip out of it, you guys <laughs> you'll probably stumble off the bus knowing all you guys with the coolers in the back so <laughs> better we should you know make a, a large trip of it you know we can uh go up to watertown and, and visit and um, make make maybe what's there to visit in watertown i'm sorry <laughs> well well i just mentioned thousand islands yeah, really okay, gorgeous yeah. in new york state there there are New York State, there's places in New York State people go to, they think they're in another part of the United States. So uh, it's. I think it would be definitely worth a trip up there. Um, the, now, were you afraid at all it still could be in Afghanistan? We were very much afraid of it. That was our fear that you see right now the Taliban running around in uh, American uniform jackets and shirts that we gave to the ANA and walking around with M4s and uh, Humvees. I mean, just, I mean, just every veteran like myself, we're infuriated by it. Um, the, we didn't want them desecrating it, making fun of it, or or putting it up on on uh, for the world to see on the news on the September 11th and saying, "Ha ha, look at us, we have this," and and mocking it. So we're very grateful that the troops in the 10th Mountain Division uh, did the right thing and bringing it home. Originally, the intent was it would not leave until every U.S. troop had left, and obviously that can't happen now. Um, but I think what happened was once Major operations were over i think someone one of the commanders commanding officers probably said hey, listen i don't want to leave it here because we were slowly starting to give the ana uh more and more control of bagram and they said look we, we don't want this thing disappearing or or just being forgotten so maybe we're better off bringing it back now and i and that's precisely what they did and um i'm again i'm glad i'm so glad that they did uh right now uh you know, we again we're just we're just so grateful that we have it back in our possession and it's on U.S. soil where it belongs. Let me ask you. Maybe you can comment on this. Maybe you can't. But let, all the equipment there was a lot of that just given to the Afghanistan security forces. Yes, I mean the particularly the Humvees. I mean probably some of the MRAPs. Now the the MRAP the U.S. Army is no longer really using that. That was really built for the war in Afghanistan because it was resistance to IEDs on the ground, basically by the way it was shaped and constructed. The idea of the MRAP came about from South Africa. It has a V shape on the bottom so the blast goes out. However, we have come up with uh, new and improved vehicles 
JLTV, which we're starting to field now, even in the Army Reserve. It's been a little postponed because of COVID, but we're getting it out to the troops and getting them trained how to drive it. But the bottom line is, yes, we left equipment for the ANA, and um, I worked with the ANA, and I think they're getting a bum rap. Um, I just think their political leadership was so corrupt, um, and the Afghan army said, well, if my own commander is betraying us and, and turning in weapons and making deals with side deals with the Taliban, what? why am I fighting? Why am I doing this? So, you know, it's easy to point fingers at them. The ANA, in fact, uh, took upwards of about 50 casualties just in the last um, 30 days, I mean, fighting. So uh, when people tell me they threw their guns away, well, yes, some of them did. Obviously, when the town was taken over, I don't know if they had much of a choice. You know, you can have weapons. What happens when you run out of ammunition? <laughs> you cannot use the weapon. So um, I can't judge them now. I'll leave that to historians uh, okay. later on. Let me ask you something. Let's say, you know, there's so many weapons, but if you don't have people that can repair them, or get further ammunition to them. Can they get ammunition? Are they going to be able to buy ammunition? That that's that's a very good point. I mean, certainly the weapons of choice of some of our adversaries, obviously, are the AK-47 and the Kalashnikov, and they don't obviously have a problem getting ammo. That remains to be seen. If they're going to be able to get five five six, they would have to get it on the black market or something. That could very well become a problem for them down the line in, in a year or two, or two years, or three years. Yeah. It may get to the point where they're useless to them, but knowing the Taliban, which when we talk about the Taliban, it's really the Haqqani network, which is a criminal network. So I'm sure they'll be able to sell those weapons on the black market to somebody who maybe get better access to the ammo. And I, hope, and I certainly hope that's not the case. Let me ask you something, um, and this is maybe for both of you. I was in the, I was in the service when Saigon fell, and I remember looking, you know, a little black and white TV, guys were doing it and I, I was in the back office of an MP station and there were six or seven NCOs there who all served in Vietnam and I would say they were crying but they were certainly weeping when Saigon fell how do you guys feel now I mean we're angry we understand the American people when they're polled they wanted us out of Afghanistan and and these forever wars but that's really not true we really ended major combat operations in 2014. So this nonsense, like, oh, we've been at war for 20 years. We really haven't. Afghanistan was relatively stable up until this point. Now, I know that the American people were complaining, but it wasn't costing us a lot. Yes, was there a lot of wasted money? Certainly. But uh, under the Obama administration, you know, we started to draw back in 2014. And everyone forgets this 20-year war. We fought the Taliban in 2001 to 2002 and beat them. Tora Bora is one, one example. Uh, and the Taliban fell back. A lot of them fell back into Pakistan. Um, we really didn't start to pay attention to Afghanistan. We took our eye off the ball and really focused on Iraq for the better part of the decade. And it wasn't until 2008 or nine when General McKiernan said, hey, listen, to do what I need to do to really root out the Taliban, because they're starting to make a comeback, I need more troops. And for that, he was fired. <laughs> so, you know, and, and I served with, under General McKiernan in, 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 the, in, the, in the Iraq war in the first year in 2003. Um, lo and behold, they took his advice, though. They did a buildup, and we, we were beating them 2009 into 2000. Uh, 13 and, and 2011 actually we got Saddam because now we started to focus on Afghanistan as we started to uh, withdraw from Iraq 
And um, really, like I said, from 2014, which is now almost 22, it's been almost a decade where we've been basically in an advisory capacity, uh, helping them with ISR and the you pointed out about the Air Force, the helicopters, um, they had a maintenance package, and it was mostly civilian contractors, former military mechanics that were helping them keep those birds in the air. For every hour a helicopter's in the air, it requires about three to four hours on the ground of maintenance. Um, so even if the Taliban have the helicopters, they're going to have a hell of a challenge trying to get that done unless China comes in and helps them do it, or Pakistan, I don't know. Because yeah, I always felt helicopters, that's dangerous you know, vehicle to fly in. I mean, relatively, if it's not maintained, I can't imagine somebody would want to they get into it. They may also be forcing the ANA pilots to, at gunpoint, to take them up in a helicopter. That would be my first uh, inclination about what they're doing. Um, you know, certainly in the winter time, they couldn't get over the mountains. That's why they call it the fighting season from the spring into the summer. Do you think things could have been handled differently in the last couple of months? Well, I think everyone probably believes that and but I'm you sure, were there so yeah, your opinion counts and, and more. i'm sure uh the uh national security council feels the same way i mean obviously of course you know um they could see they're realizing that now i think the focus needs to be on how we can do it better right now the british and the french are sending their special ops people to go in and get their citizens there's a lot of pressure on president biden he was on gave his uh radio address on and tv address this afternoon uh, mentioning about sending in the Marines and, and units of the 82nd to help secure the airfield. I think that's the first part. I do believe at some point he, he will send in special ops to create some sort of safe corridor to get through that area of Kabul to get pe to enable people to get to the airport, because that's the problem now. Apparently, they're surrounded the airport um, to get the people, the Americans, uh, any Afghans that we want to bring back with us, particularly the ones that helped us. What do you think is going to happen to those Afghans? Because you know not all of them are going to get out. There's no way all of them get out. I think uh, it's it's very bad. I mean, we're getting reports. They're going from house to house, and they're taking retaliation on the people that who either work with us or perceived to have worked with us. And then, of course, you have people who want to settle scores with their neighbor. They may not like and make false accusations. It's a very bad situation uh, all the way around. I, I, I'm not optimistic right now. I think we... Uh, Seeing how the situation is now, I think we will send the the forces that we need. I I do believe the president will do that, um, and and to enable to get our people out of there and, and try to make the best of a very bad situation. Now, Dave, you you weren't in Afghanistan, but you were in Iraq. How many years were you in Iraq? I uh, did three tours in Iraq. Okay, so do you have any comment on what's going on right now? Be I just amazed that there was. Um... That the administration ignored the intelligence that this would happen. I mean, now it's turning out that they were warned about this in July, and there was no plan by this administration to get our uh, fellow citizens out of Afghanistan and to create a situation where the Afghan government could uh, stand up and the Afghan National Army could have stood up to the Taliban. So, just like we see in a career, I would think it takes a few generations, you know, to really so to assist these governments to stand up to these terrorist organizations to become stable, for their economy to become stable, and for their military to become professional enough to stand up to these terrorists. But the fact that there's what we look for, what we look in front of the world now is embarrassing, that we have, we had no plan, we ignored intelligence, and 
I wonder if we're in the future of our allies, we're going to think twice before we ask them to commit to a, a similar type action. Because, you know, like what, if something like this happens again, is it a signal to the world that the U.S. won't back you when the chips are down or they're going to just yeah, give up exactly. sooner or later? We don't have I the will to why, fight why anymore. Would, why would our NATO allies want to, uh, you know, join us in another coalition, say 10 years from now, 20 years from now, another part of the world, if they see that we're just letting that country, the host country, just fall to pieces and letting our own citizens fend for themselves. I mean, the president said today that Americans have no problem getting to Kabul airport. So a reporter had to tell him, a reporter had to tell him, no, Mr. President, you're wrong. They have extreme difficulty getting to the airport. So we have a president who's really not engaged. And I don't know if that's because his mental capacity we called into question, or is it his resolve or a combination of both? But it's extremely frustrating and it's, you know, but who's advising him? I mean, you still have a National Security Council. You still have military leaders. You have the Joint I, I Chiefs of Staff. I just don't think he's calling the shots. I think there's other people, you know, telling the president, they're giving him, you know, post-it notes and telling him what to say. And I don't think he has a firm grasp of what's the situation, you know. You can only prep him so much, but then he goes off, you know, on a tangent because he really doesn't have a command of the facts. I really question his mental ability at this point. Now, the source of his information, when he said really not that long ago, July, that Afghanistan would not fall that quickly, what was the source of that information? Steve, Do you you were there, so. I, I can't say for certain, but uh, I don't know if the intelligence community necessarily always speaks with one voice. I think you're going to get several sources, whether it's CIA, NSA, or the Defense Department, and it's I think what the president tries to do is look for a consensus of what what is the overriding consensus. Now he may have been told that and um, uh, not intentionally misled, but misinformed somehow. Um, I don't know. I have to take him at his word at the moment, but uh, things are not looking. Uh, I don't know. It, it the the only thing I would say is if we were going to do this withdrawal, I don't think we should have did it in the middle of the fighting season it should have been done when a lot of the taliban are stuck in pakistan and trapped in the mountain passes they can't get through because of the of the snow and i think if you're going to do it it might have been better to do it at a better time now he may have been given that advice but uh, he wanted to stick to a certain deadline i cannot say and i mean ultimately it's it's his call let me ask you who are the people that are civilians who are the american civilians in afghanistan right now you have a combination of uh, military contractors, former military, people who are familiar with the equipment, uh, particularly, let's take the Black Hawk helicopters, for, exa for example, or uh, the maintenance packages for the Humvee to keep them up and running. Uh, also, you have NGOs. You have a lot of Afghans. What's who, an NGO? Uh, Non-governmental organizations. These are the organizations like Doctors Without Borders would be one. The Red Cross is an example. Um that are trying to do things, build capacity, uh, teach young women, uh, educators, uh, trying to deliver uh, essential services, basic health care, food, things of that nature. So you have a lot of Americans who went over there for uh, who are decent and good-hearted and want to do the right thing. I just think things were overlooked. I think the plan was that they would leave on their own. They might have had been told to leave uh, maybe perhaps earlier uh, at least back in early July or late June. All right. Do you have any final comments? My only 
my only hope is that uh, you know my fellow warriors uh, are able to uh, stay safe as best they can and uh, manage a very bad situation. But I'm confident, if given the adequate resources, we we can be successful and get our people out of here. My only fear is that the Taliban starts obviously to take hostages, and that may not be necessarily like an Iran situation. You could just I don't know what the Taliban's command and control looks like because really when it comes right down to it I don't see them as a military organization they're essentially a terrorist organization and probably more aligned to a, a, a criminal enterprise so they may not have the command and control and rank structure where a Taliban senior leader can tell them well don't do that and he goes well I'm going to take them hostage anyway and contact the families directly in the United States not even go through the U.S. government and just say call up a family let's say in the middle of the country in, you know, in Ohio and say Hey, we want fifty thousand dollars, and uh, otherwise your loved one's not coming home. Things of that nature. That's that's my fear right now. All right. Well, listen, guys. Thank you for your service again. Sorry, we're talking about what we're talking about, but got to pray this country has better times ahead of it. Absolutely. Amen. Kevin McCullough, are you or your parents' assets protected from nursing home bills? Did you know these bills can exceed $15,000 a month? People work their entire lives to live comfortably in retirement, but when people become ill and need to go to a nursing home or receive home care, the bills can drain their assets, leaving many people bankrupt. The good news is that you can prevent that from happening if you plan in advance. Connors and Sullivan's lawyers can customize a plan that specifically protects your interests, including your home. Schedule a free comprehensive telephone consultation with Mike Connors to discuss your issues and concerns from the security of your home. Call today, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Don't let nursing home bills take your life's savings and leave you and your loved ones bankrupt. Don't wait another minute. Mike Connors can take you through the process by telephone and start a plan designed for you today. That's 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.